We're proud to have this episode sponsored by ShakePay, the easiest way for Canadians to buy and earn Bitcoin. I love using ShakePay because it's fast, it's easy, the app is great, and it doesn't hurt that they give away free sats, which is free Bitcoin every day just for shaking your phone. They also have the ShakePay prepaid Visa card issued by People's Trust that earns you up to 2% cash back in Bitcoin. Not points you have to redeem, just Bitcoin added to your account automatically. Like I said, ShakePay really is the easiest way for Canadians to buy and earn Bitcoin. So join the over 1 million Canadians already on ShakePay. Sign up is fast and free. It's so easy, a boomer can do it. Plus, sign up for ShakePay with the promo code LOONIEHOUR and you'll receive $10 after you buy your first $100 worth of Bitcoin. That's promo code LOONIEHOUR. Thank you, ShakePay. Now back to the show. Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to the Looney Hour, episode 67. As always, joined by the three amigos. We got uh, Keith Dicker of Ice Cap Asset Management in his, it looks like a new Patagucci Gucci jacket. And uh, Rich Diaz of Acorn Macro Consulting. Welcome back to the show, gentlemen. Keith, is that a new shirt? No, it's not. It's the, uh, as, as my family would say, it, it's my only shirt, but... <laughs> I like to put it in the rotation for 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 the podcast. So maybe I haven't worn it for maybe two episodes or something. So fun fun story. I uh, was messaging you guys in the group chat, but a good old hockey buddy of mine uh, who I played junior hockey with in Ontario when I was twenty years old, Anthony Taylor. Shout out! Uh, he, he messaged me. I haven't heard from the guy in in a decade, and he goes. Big fan of the show, man. Just got my first ever Patagucci. This is the comfiest sweater I've ever owned. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's it's always amazing to sort of hear the people that are that are listening. And uh, I still don't know why we don't have a sponsorship from from Patagonia, but uh, we're working on it. I think that they've moved away from uh, finance bros since uh, it became uh, a big thing to wear those puffy versions of those vests, right? And like in on Wall Street people wearing their white collared shirt and then they wear the puffy vest with the Patagonia. I think that they, they moved away from that. Um, I think that they like poo pooed all that. I'm not sure it changed it, any of the I, traders. I, minds, I, I heard that as well. And apparently, uh, apparently Davos at the uh, world economic forum there, apparently everyone's wearing Patagucci. So um, in, like in big, Bermuda, fan, big fans of the show. Yeah. In, in Bermuda, we always wore the vests, right? Cause it, it got cool there in, in, in the winter time. So you just needed a little extra layer on. You know, it's to keep you uh, a bit warm. Anyways, that's, right. that's it. This what is football week, on? guys. My football projections oh, you are won. working out. The miners. <laughs> the miners. <laughs> <laughs> so here, here's the prediction for Sunday. It'll be uh, San Francisco 38, Cowboys 17. After the yeah, first I, quarter. You can take, <laughs> take, take that to the money line, eh? That's right. Yeah, they're looking really strong. Those that know football, you know, you have complementary football, your offense, your defense, and special teams. They all have to be working together at the same time. And, and it is for this team. So uh Mrs. Icecap, she's a huge football fan. I know you guys know that, but 
she uh, she calls penalties. Into it, did you not? And no, <laughs> but it works out great for the relationship. And uh, but she calls penalties before the flags even come flying on the field, and not the obvious ones either. Like she knows all of them. So for this, like yesterday, uh, today's Thursday, so it was it was Wednesday for us. Um, she said, "Hey, let's go to the game this weekend." I said, "Sir, yeah, price it for four tickets. Four of us flying out, you know, from here." First class box seats. (laughs) It's so expensive. This is the most expensive non-Super Bowl game in history on on the weekend. How much were the tickets? uh, To get in the door right now, you're probably looking at 800 US. Jesus. Yeah. That's in the nosebleeds, Yeah, those are they're pretty steep up there high at at Levi Stadium. But anyway, we're we're not going to go. We'll we'll wait for the Super Bowl, of of course. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone else is going on? Rich, what's new? More dates? Um, I I may or may not have gone on a date um, Monday. It was nice. We went out for Italian food. It was I was in bed alone by nine o'clock. It was, uh, you know, just getting my feet to me. It was nice when we had a conversation. What I didn't embarrass about? myself. Um, you're getting the, you're turning into a sophisticated man. I've always been a sophisticated man. Um, I didn't drink, which was great. You know, Monday is one of my AFDs, so I got I got to behave myself on a Monday. But did it was you go, good. It was. Oh, did you go on a first date and not drink? Um, it may or may not have been a second date. Anyways, let's okay. talk about talk about something else, please. <laughs> well, let's talk about what people actually care about in this country: uh, Canadian house prices. That's right. <laughs> uh, so we had the, uh, the the typical national housing data. Again, it always comes out January 15th or sorry, the 15th of each month. Uh, so kind of a sort of continuation. Uh, the MLS home price index declined by another 1.6% month over month. Um, nationally, house prices were on a year over year basis were down 7.5%. Uh, so that's the, that's the thing. That's actually the lowest. That's the steepest year over year decline. Uh, since the index was created in 2005. So I think even like the depths of 2008, I think like your largest annual year over year drawdown was about six and a half. So um, yeah, the pains, the, you know, the beatings continue. Um, If you look at where I think it gets really interesting is if you look at the peaked trough decline from last year. So officially that home price index peaked in March of 2022 and it has a, you know, it's down 17% since it peaked, which is the, by far the steepest correction. I think the last time the largest correction was about 9%. So th- this has been, um, yeah, it's a huge drawdown. Now, the, the most of the Ontario has a huge weighting in the index. Um, so obviously, you know, the more that sort of Toronto or the GTA declines, um, obviously that, that will bring down your national house price index. But if you look at it, you kind of break it up by, you know, different uh, major metros here. So, you know, you had Canada down seven and a half percent on a year over year basis. Toronto was down 8.9, Montreal 0.7, Vancouver negative 3.3, Ottawa negative 4.6, Edmonton negative 0.8. And the loan sole outlier calgary up 8.1 percent so um quite quite interesting that's really like a market that still is kind of outperforming or i guess performing less poorly but um 
I have a dumb yeah. question. Why yeah. would Edmonton not be sort of exactly the same as Calgary? I, I honestly, I, 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 I don't really have a strong answer for you. I think okay. that, um, I think you're seeing more inflows of like people and investment dollars into Calgary. I think like, yeah, you know, forgive me if we have some Edmonton listeners, but it, it's kind of the crappier version of Calgary. <laughs> I'm sorry, but uh, I mean, at least you guys got McDavid. <laughs> They're going to yeah, waste but... him. They're going to waste McDavid. That's a whole podcast unto itself. Yeah, that is, that is a whole podcast, but I definitely agree with you. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's where it says, and it's interesting as I was just reading the, uh, you know, RBC's uh, economics team. Um, that's, they've titled it Canada's housing market inches closer to a cyclical bottom. Uh, they've been listening. So they're, they're, they've been listening to you, Steve. <laughs> they call the bottom. There you go. Another bottom caller. Um, so yeah, we'll see. Um, you know, I think like the, the, the biggest thing that we're seeing boots on the ground, it's funny. I was putting it out on Twitter and, you know, just getting all the messages and replies is we're seeing what we're seeing right now is like every kind of year, you know, in December, into January, into February, like nobody really lists. It's kind of like your slow season. So there's not a lot of listings that come to market. So you always end up with these very like inventory always kind of rolls over. And so what we've seen to start the year, and you're seeing this across all these major metros right now, even you're actually seeing it in the US people. If you go follow any of the US accounts, they're reporting a lot of the same activity, which is, Inventory is really low. You have all these people that have kind of been delaying purchases. Um, you know, people that still want to enter the housing market, but like, you know what? Prices are still high. Rates are way up. Affordability stinks. I want to wait till prices come down. So that's what obviously what a lot of people have been doing. And they've been waiting, waiting, waiting. And they're seeing, well, the inventory is not getting any better. It's actually getting worse. And so I think there's there's definitely an element of people that I think are panicking and saying, and so they're now, they're now going and scooping up a lot of these like stale listings, stuff that's been on the market for three months. If you call these you know listing agents, all of a sudden they're all under contract. So I think it's a bit of a panic where I would kind of fade the rally because I think it's more of an inventory rally than it is like a demand-fueled boom. So that's kind of how I'm looking at the markets right now. Still think there's more downside coming, but... Very, very challenging. We need to see a huge bump in inventory. Um, total I have inventory Sorry, levels are I have another very, question. very low. Sorry. Do, do you mean, and is it is it semi-detached versus like apartments or, I mean, single detached? Or is it like when you talk about this, it's, it's all, it's you're sort of lumping them all in the same category just because I guess. We yeah, I'm, I'm lumping them all in the same category. Yeah, There's always going to be like you know, different performers within those sure. segments, you know, certain municipalities that have lower inventory of condos, et cetera, et cetera, and stuff like that. But as the whole, we're lumping the, you know, it's the thing, you know, you lump the country and say, well, you know, we're down 17% peak to trough nationally. It's like, like I said, you know, most of those declines are predominantly in the GTA. And then you go to like a market like Calgary where you're like, well, prices are actually up. So it's like, but yeah, we don't I necessarily have a national housing index. I think it's, I find it interesting because obviously, you know, people like the Bank of Canada, our, 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 our banking regulators are obviously going to be looking at the national statistics and saying, okay, what's happening? The other thing to note is uh, house, housing sales activity, uh, home sales were down 39% year over year. Um, so again, That's volume. 
volume of transactions. Yeah. Very low transactions. Demand remains weak. So can I ask one more question? Sorry, before we move on. Um, we talk a lot about sort of the rate reset and how basically households are going to have to stomach much, much higher rates. Do you think that that's less of an issue than we might have argued or talked about six months ago? Do you think that that's, did we make too much of it? Is that, you know, do you know what I mean? I think that there's a strong argument to be made that people that have been waiting for like, or calling the the big Canadian housing crash since really 2006, seven, I think there's a strong argument to be made that when rates go up, you know, 400 basis points in a span of 12 months, that this is finally going to be the thing that kicks it over. And we're certainly seeing that from, you know, again, these home price indexes, largest drawdowns we've seen in 20 years. Right. So it's kind of playing out to some extent, but I definitely think like a lot of this is the trajectory of rates, right? I mean, Keith, I'm curious isn't your the, thoughts, but yeah, but isn't the uh, like, like any market, of, of course, uh, I, I would strip out the, the highs that we reached in was it 21, I'm assuming 22, 22. Feb 22 was like the, the peak in basically every market. Yeah, so I, you know, I always, I always dislike measuring anything from a, a peak or the extreme peak or extreme trough. You sort of have to, you know, Rich, you know the word normalize, of course. You know, want to normalize it somewhat. It's one of my pickup uh, lines. <laughs> <laughs> that could be effective. I can see that. Um, the uh, I'm still not over this yet. That you know, it's down from this level because we're measuring it from the peak and. I also suspect that if the country does experience a recession of, of any kind, uh, I think that's going to you know make that market a bit softer. Oh, oh, by the way, I know last week we uh, we asked listeners to uh, send us some anecdotal stories of well, that's what anecdotal is, right? So anecdotes of you know what they see happening economically, and we received a bunch, like we received a whole bunch of them, whether it was on the YouTube comments or some emails and stuff. And you start piecing them all together, like the slowdown has started, but I don't think it's yet to start showing up really on, on a national basis. Is that what you guys saw as well for some of the comments we were receiving? Yeah, I think so. I think that um yeah, I, I think like it's definitely playing out. Right? I mean, housing is always like your your leading indicator. You're most sensitive to to shift in rates, and obviously, we've seen like housing activity. It it has collapsed. I mean, it's not strong, and uh, you know, prices have followed that. So I think it is a matter of time until it filters through to, to the rest of the economy, which I don't think we've seen now. Keith, Rich, I, I my always thing is like, so I'm kind of curious like how this recession is is going to play out. It's certainly, the most telegraphed recession. But so on one hand, you know, you've got the falling falling rates right now because, you know, the economy's clearly slowing. Uh, people are optimistic on inflation and stuff like that. So so your rates are coming back down right now, which we can get into. Now, we know that we're going to have this this recession and job loss and stuff like that. The question is, like, how much job loss are we going to see and what kind of job loss is it going to be? Because like. I think we've argued on the show before that there is certainly a structural shortage of labor um, in this in this current environment, and 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 you know there's been some great reports out there where a lot of them you can see the, the disabilities that have that have increased uh, since the pandemic. 
whether, you know, what, however they define those, but you've seen a lot of people that have exited the labor force through, through retirement or through, through illness. So I'm curious, like structurally, I know like that companies are obviously reluctant to let people go. And so it's just one of those times where you like, you get, you get the recession, you know, you get the drawdown in GDP, but you don't get as much job loss as you normally would. It's pretty awkward, isn't it? Cause you're, you're hearing about, the, you know, maybe we'll have the only recession on in on record where you're still seeing the help wanted signs all over the place. Yeah. It's, it's a bit odd. And also I suggest, you know, because the Canadian monthly employment data is so wacky, uh, you know, if we're picking up 100,000 new jobs a month during a slowdown, if we get a recession, maybe we'll see like minus a million or something. <laughs> well, it. my point is that I think the Canadian job numbers, it's, I, I do not put a lot of weight on them. Um, but here is the other observation with, with the recession. And, and again, this is my view with it. And if you go back over the last 40 years, so how old are you, Steve? Not 40. Not 40? <laughs> Rich. So oh. back, even back before that stuff, um, th this is the first recession that if it happens, and again, it, it's coming, that's being purposely being orchestrated by all central banks at the same time, right? Every other recession has been driven by like a specific industry, something broke or a shock. region or, or yeah, something like that. Like, a, you know, it, it, the demand shock happened for some reason. So I, I think how this recession comes out, remember they not say they, that's the, uh, the <coughs> world economic forum. And, uh, <laughs> But the central banks, they, they desperately want a recession to, to come on here. And because they want it, they will likely get it. And because they all want it at the same time, I, I think it's going to look and feel very different than what anyone has experienced before. And, uh, you know, again, I think it's going to create a lot of displacements and some very odd moments in terms of like, especially with the employment side. But what do you think, Rich? Well, I think it's really... I think there's a couple of things. Number one, I don't think you can have a recession without some kind of labor market contraction. I, I think it's like almost by definition. I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm sure some politician has rewritten that definition in the last couple of years. But more or less, I think it just makes sense from an intuitive standpoint. Um, and I think that. So that's the first thing I would say. So, and the second thing I'd say on the on the labor front, we've talked about this before. But maybe it's worth going over. Um, you know, it's it's you have an incredible inflection point in the demographics that we haven't seen in a long time, right? We talked about the age dependency ratio, which is how many working age people are relative to young and old. And, you know, it, it peaked in 1960s, 1970s, depending on which country or region you are in. And it bottomed in 2010, 15, whatever, uh, whatever, again, what, depending on which region. And now it's starting to climb. And it's climbing at, at a precipitous, precipitous rate because there just haven't been enough babies and there, and then there was baby boom and there was just not enough, et cetera. And all these demographic sh uh, shifts. And so what we're seeing is a lot of people are retiring, moving away from the labor force in the US, just because I know the numbers off the top of my head, um, COVID or whatever has basically moved 5 million people out of labor force in the last two years. Partly that's because they're cashed out boomers, partly because there's people who don't cut childcare, partly it's retirement. But my, and then in Canada, I think you have sort of a similar situation. And so, you know, you might get that rare case 
where because of demographics, because of the skills shortages that we've talked about, and I'm looking at it right now, the Canadian uh, Business Survey, um, which is the Federation of um, Independent Businesses. I mean, this the, the you know, 44% of the small businesses that they survey still have shortages of labor. This is skilled and unskilled labor. Now, you know, don't come at me with the unskilled bit. I get that there's lots of different types of skills, but this is sort of the economic definition. So you have to live with it. My point is that there's still a sort of a, a lack of people, warm bodies in jobs. So you have this like fight between a structural shortage of people who are able to find, to, to basically be placed in work and then you have the inevitability sort of of a contraction in the labor market, which comes from a proper recession. You know, maybe this will just be one of those situations where you have a less job loss. But to say that there won't be any job losses, I just think would be very, very difficult. That's a, that's a tough hurdle for me to sort of overcome intellectually. So I mean, I is, think is, I go ahead, is, is an economist a skilled or an unskilled? <laughs> unskilled. Worker. Unskilled. Okay. What do you have, Steve? Uh, no, I mean, I, I I think I tend to agree with Rich. I mean, I know that the, the narrative. I'm, I'm really, yeah. I mean, I'm personally struggling with with what the outcome is going to be. I know, I know the narrative. It seems to be growing, at least in markets these days, around you know the soft landing, and maybe it's possible. Maybe we do get that soft landing. It's not going to be the the doom and gloom hard landing that we get. I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just saying that it seems at least from financial markets, that's the narrative that is now taking hold uh, in markets. Keith, I don't know if you have any opinion on that, but. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because this uh, week I saw a, uh, a clip. So this is from, uh, this is from Deloitte. Uh, Deloitte, their article says, Canada facing deeper recession as interest rates take hold. Bank of Canada's interest rate hikes are going to slow economic growth. Right. So, you, you, again, the, the verbiage is getting out there. And, you know, I don't, if, we, if we're going to have a recession, a deep recession, there's job losses, guys. It, it's it's going to happen. Like, we're not going to get this weird situation where it, it's just a bit sluggish or something. Could you, we, we've gone from two extremes. So we've gone from an extreme where the capital just stopped moving in the world and then Everyone, you know, received. Oh, by the way, did you see the Bill Morno interview this week? I didn't see the interview. I saw that he wrote a book that we should. Yeah, the, all read. his interview about the book is it's quite interesting. People should. Uh, it, it explains basically why he split up with with the liberals and, and Trudeau and, and left. A lot of it was focused on the amount of stimulus that was going to be paid out during the uh, during the pandemic. But it sort of goes over to this point that if as soon as you swing from this period where there's so much liquidity in, in the system. So the central banks are gushing it out. Commercial banks are lending it to everybody. Uh, people are still working and making money. Companies are still making money. People are getting paid if they weren't getting paid before, you know, from governments. When you go from that to really towards the opposite again, because we're getting these big swings in, in, with the pendulum, um, it's going to create something. So just this morning, for example, uh, Procter Gamble, uh, they basically missed on, on the revenue side. So, so that's starting to happen. Um, whether it's interesting or not, Microsoft had, had a big layoff announcement as well. You know, that's out there. So you're starting to see it. And, and the best way to think about 
how does the recession happen? It happens when you, I like to look at aggregate income. So instead of like, you know, people are making this much money on average. If you look at all the income that's being produced in Canada, it doesn't matter if it's taking twice as many people to work to produce it or half as many people. It's the amount of income that's being produced in the country. And then how many times that is, you know, you have the multiplier attached to it. As soon as that number starts to decline, you know, economic growth will slow as well. And the great thing about uh, economies where you do have a big participation by the private sector, because private sector, we we love to make money and we don't like to lose money. So as soon as a company anticipates they may not make as much money or they're going to lose money, what do they do? Rich, Steve? I don't know. I'm cutting. an economist. <laughs> hey, you, you cut back, right? You, you, yeah, you, you cut back. margins. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's right. Um, so as soon as we start to see that happening, because the big thing right now, I think I don't think margins. Uh, this is for the U.S. market for the S and P. I don't. I don't think operating margins can get much higher. I think Rich, no, you they're already falling. They're already starting to rolling over. They're already rolling. Yeah, over. it's just this thing, right? They can't get any better than than what they are now. So if margins are coming off. Uh, then by default, you need the top line to continue growing. I know you had that China story there was, was you know, moving around over the last week, maybe, you know, China was going to save the day. And all of a sudden now, like, you know, it seems to be risk off again, markets are rolling over and stuff. So with, with us, this continues on the path that we're expecting. And, and the path that we expect at, at IceCap is that we're, we're going to hit a recession uh, it's either going to be a weak recession or a deep recession. That, that's it, like somewhere in between. Like, I don't think we're going to be able to avoid it. And then we're going to get fallout from that and equities will lead us into that. And then we'll get, you know, a really cool opportunity coming up. And I think that might come soon, you know, to start adding risk on again, you know, to the portfolios. Um, this sort of ties a bit into the US data that came out this rich. Well, can I just add uh, sorry, one this more week, thing? Rich. Can I just add one more thing just to put a bow on this? I think my, I, I was just like, now that you're, you know, now that you've sort of made me think about this, Steve, because we don't, we don't really rehearse this before we do the podcast, but it, it's like, maybe there's a third alternative, which is might be the boring answer, but given my view on the U S household, which is to say that it's unlevered and is basically as cashed up as it's been since 1965, I write about this on my Substack plug. Um, it might just take a lot longer for it to happen than I think what people sort of anticipate. And so I think in, in my world, strategists are so often early to these phenomena because, you know, we got to come up with something to think about and talk about and And, and maybe because, you know, there is sort of still, I would argue, ample liquidity, credit growth's okay, the banks are strong, we've got decent savings in the household sector, certainly in aggregate, you know, they're not being in the US, they're certainly not being squeezed by higher mortgage rates and households are unlevered. All of this phenomena that we sort of agree on broad in broad strokes might just take significantly longer for it to manifest. And so, and maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that's sort of, as we think about it and we discuss it, I think that that's sort of maybe a boring answer, but I think that that might end up being the right one. Sorry, maybe we'll move that, on, but yeah, maybe that comes down to your, your fed, you know, higher, higher for longer. Right. Yeah. Cause I think, I mean, the, the argument is that they need to crack the, the labor market. They need to get unemployment higher. I would just, I would just suggest like the savings rate, you know, there's a savings rate chart that people keep throwing around, which is how the savings rate is at an all time low at 2.4%. That is technically true, but that absolutely misses the point. That is a, a flow, which is, and not a stock. 
And what matters, I think, to most people is the stock of savings. At a point, given point of time, how much ammunition do you have in the bank, in, in your assets and whatever? And if you look at the currency, and so basically your deposits, so your current account balance, which is what they call it in the UK, or your checking account balance, what they call it in Canada and the United States, plus your currency relative to your sort of short-term unsecured liabilities, that ratio is the highest it's been since 1965. And if you do that same number, again, this is like what you can draw away from the bank on a moment's notice without any, you know, warning. There's not, so to me, that, that means that you have an, have a, a household that's as cashed up as it's been since 1965 with nominal wage growth, the highest it's been in 20 years. And those, and then your debt in, with no debt. So it's not that, so that's why this higher for longer thing, I just, you know, you add those pieces together, you know, US consumers, 70%, 75% of, of, of US GDP. And if they're okay, not great, but if they're okay, I think it's going to take a lot longer than we think for that recession that's, to come through. But that's quite the opposite of, of your Canadian household, right? I mean, there was no oh, yes, dele- very much so. Yeah, there was no deleveraging in, in the in None. the GFC and and we've continued to accumulate a lot of debt and wage growth is not as high. And, you know, you're very, very prone to uh, the volatility and in interest rates, right? I mean, the fact right. that you can only lock in a mortgage for the longest duration of five years means you're you're always susceptible to 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 a rise in interest rates. The biggest thing that we're hearing anecdotally uh, through mortgage contacts, uh, investment advisors, and things of that nature is that um, households are are the, there's a lot of households that are struggling with the change in their mortgage payment. Um, and one of the ways they're basically getting by right now is actually draining uh, the savings, draining the investment accounts. So going to their advisor and saying, Hey, you know, I need to tap into my, uh, you know, my retirement account there. I need a hundred thousand bucks or whatever I need. And, uh, cause I gotta, I gotta pay down my mortgage. I need to pay my bills. And remember yeah, wage that's... growth in Canada is not anywhere near as high as it's been in the U S sorry. Sorry, Keith, please. Yeah, I, I agree with Steve and, um, Again, I think we're a lot closer to that moment Fair where enough. things, yeah, start start rolling over to become a bit more negative. Why don't we? Uh, but all, but again, like this, it, again, it's very odd in that that the setup is very clear that it we are set up to experience deteriorating economic conditions, or for everyone else out there, you know, less bonus, no bonus job losses and stuff like that. Cause a lot of people out there and they're working really hard. Some people work two different jobs uh, and, and the price of stuff has gone up so much. Like it, it's, it's, it is a bit of a grind here yet our central banks continue to tell us, you know, the, the beatings will continue, you know, and, until morale improves. <laughs> and um, now with morale in, in the U S this week, do I go over the U S number? Yeah, let's quickly, sure so let's, let's quickly touch on, because uh, I think it ties in here, then we'll kind of wrap it up. But I think it, let's chat on the uh, U.S. retail sales, uh, and then we'll shift gears into Canada's inflation data, uh, which came out this week, and as well as um, the Bank of Canada rate hike predictions for next week. We've got to get our Twinkie bets in. Um, but yeah, Rich, I don't know if you want to quickly touch on U.S. retail sales. Yeah, so the retail sales fell one one percent or one point one percent. I think it's the, the obviously the, that means that it's a, it's a relatively big decline. Um, I, I mean, I don't have much more to say than what you can read out there. I would just 
remind everyone that personal consumption expenditure is made of two items, services and goods. And retail sales is more or less focused on the goods section. And the reason I bring up those two sections, two bits, is because two thirds of retail sales, or sorry, two thirds of personal consumption is services, which continues to ratchet higher and higher. And one third is the retail sales goods component. They don't quite overlap, but for the purposes of this conversation, let's just say for argument's sake that they're the same. And so we're seeing a continuing- I think now I know why you only get one date at a time. <laughs> That's so mean. Uh, retail sales is, is flatlining. Um, and in real terms, it's been flat for almost two years. But remember, that's only one third of the overall bucket. So although there's definitely some negative that, I mean, it's, it's a negative number, it's, it's unambiguously negative. I would just remind everybody that two thirds of spending is services and that continues to get higher and higher. Keith, any other yeah, <laughs> shots yeah, yeah, you'd absolutely. like to take? <laughs> <laughs> just giving you some suggestions, then that's all. Um, you know, I'm more of a yield guy. So let's look at the retail sales from... No, the, the numbers were negative. Okay. So overall they're suggesting, you know, people are, they're buying less, but the numbers were less than what was expected. You know, what, what the economists were had out on the survey. So it is a, it's a very dovish number. So when that comes out, it, the, the markets will automatically shift the thinking to, oh, wow, you know, inflation is going to come down because people are spending less money and stuff like that. So it, it's a dovish number. And then at the exact same time, we had a producer price index data that came out and uh, like that was weaker as well. By the way, with retail sales number that the prior month was revised lower and then the current data was even lower than that still, right? It was, it's, it, it is, we're, we're starting to see evidence that the economy is rolling over. But from the American perspective, say sales, retail sales were lower, uh, PPI data, no matter which, which way you stripped it, stripped it out, it was, it's not increasing as much. So again, th this is data to suggest that the Federal Reserve, they could be at the end where they may hike rates. Uh, however, we keep going back to saying, that's not what they're telling us, but this is what the market is looking at. So it, it was a pretty dovish week in terms of the American data that, that came out. Yeah, and and yet the markets fell, which is really interesting, right? Because for a long time, bad news has been good news. And for yeah. the first time in a while, I can't exactly remember the last time, but first time in a while, bad news was bad news. That is to say, when we saw the bad news on the data front, regardless of your interpretation, Keith is right, it was bad news. Um, we saw the market sort of sell off. Sorry, Steve, what were you saying? No, I think that that was that was exactly what I was kind of leading to, and then obviously, you know, resulting of that is is your drop in in, in bond yields, right? So, um, you know, people obviously buying uh, the long end there, which is kind of what we've we've been chatting about it for a while uh, as potentially you know a good trade, um, depending on of course when you put it on, but um, so that's kind of coming to fruition. Do we want to talk about uh, Canadian inflation? Yeah, um, I mean, I think that kind of jibes with the, the Canadian inflation data. Cause like I said, I think this is all, it's all coming together, like big, big picture, right. Which is, uh, you know, inflation down, bond yields down. How does that impact, you know, things such as housing, which we've chatted about at the beginning of the show. So, I mean, um, yeah, take it away in the Canadian inflation well, data. We, we had, uh, 
yeah, lower, but lower we than jump expected there, as well. You know, we, we have the American, uh, that the Fed is out on, on February 1st. Yeah, that's right. Right? So we got that set up coming. We have the Canadians are next week, correct? Bank of Canada yeah, 25th, next week? Yeah. Yeah, so it's coming out. And uh, so, you know, one, obviously they tend to be moving in the same direction, but we'll obviously next week we'll come back and address the Fed. But uh, like this is one of the last big data points that the Fed will have before they come out with, you know, what they're going to do. So remember, everything in the investment world, economic world, everything tends to move in this logical process, you know, and, until it doesn't matter anymore. But, but you know, Rich and Steve, you both guys made a one of the key points so far. So markets are soft this week. And for the first time, it, it's turning soft when we're getting dovish data. And that, that's key, right? So now markets are starting to get... Economic data is really starting to catch up to where markets are and, and things like that. But we have the uh, we got to talk about what the new Twinkie is going to be because remember the, uh, the the note the research note we saw this week the Twinkie is actually not good for you. Oh right, it's banned. Was it one of like, like the it's worst? Banned in many countries. <laughs> yeah, it's like the number one worst thing. Like I think I'm even not afraid. I'm not afraid. It's funny. <laughs> when I lived in Bermuda, we had, uh, you know, there, there are cockroaches on the island. They're, they're everywhere. And uh, so they had this one spray thing called Bagon. Have you guys heard of Bagon before? No. There's a reason you haven't, because it's, it's, it's illegal everywhere in the world except for the Caribbean islands. And this thing, you could, like, knock down a cockroach from, like, 12 feet away. Just whoosh, and it, it, it shoots out across the room. Um, but I think, you know, maybe that the Twinkie might be getting closer to that level. So, you know, I'm a big fan of the lemon loaf. So we got to think about that for next week. <laughs> you know how we you're feel really pushing hard that. for the lemon loaf. Oh, I love the lemon loaf. It's, it's a Starbucks it's real... lemon loaf. It sounds like a treat. Yeah. Uh, no, I like, I mean, I like cheese Danishes too. They're pretty that, good. That's more the reason to, to, you know, to bet on the Twinkie to get the call right. Cause if you, if you get it wrong, you're going to die. <laughs> you have Slowly. enough of those you have enough of those that things. makes sense that makes sense okay canadian inflation is 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 it there she was gone what did you see rich all right um okay let's do a little quick rundown rich, so rich, rich put together oh. a good note on Substack. so again plug rich uh brilliant shameless writer. plug thank you um for older people plug apparently means they're encouraging <laughs> you to go see it is that right <laughs> That's exactly right. Okay. That's go exactly go right. check it out, guys. It's really good information, Rich has. Um, So yeah, so uh, headline inflation continues to roll over. Uh, I'm not going to bore everybody with the numbers. You can read about it. But I think that there's a couple, there's three points, Keith, that I'd like to make clear. Um, it fell, Headline fell to 6.32. Uh, 6 Core um, is stickier as naturally. That's just sort of the way it's designed. Um, it excludes food and energy. I mean, there's different types of core, which we can get to, but in general, it excludes excludes food and energy. Um, it was basically flat, um, so it's it's peak, but it seems flat. Um, the main drivers continue to be energy. Um, so most people, I imagine, can feel this at the pump. Energy prices had their largest month-on-month -month decline since April 2020, I think, if I can remember what I wrote. Um, and that's that's a significant um, energy is 7.4% of headline. So it's a significant sort of pull on that overall number. It obviously it doesn't affect core because it's core X food and energy, but still um, something that I thought was interesting was health and personal care continue to fly. Um, so again, I think it's about this goods versus services because housing operations and furniture 
I think are starting to roll over significantly. Again, if when you buy a house, then you buy the white goods, then you buy um, all the furniture that goes into it. Shelter, which is sort of my favorite, and Steve hates hates this one because he thinks it's lagging and dumb, and he's probably right. But it continues to have a significant contribution, although that's rolling over too. Um, one of the things that I, I thought was fascinating is the um, inflation expectations. So the Bank of Canada has an outlook, uh, another indicator that they probably ignore, which is something called the inflation expectations. And there's obviously different ways that you can calculate inflation expectations. We've talked about this before, but there's market-based ones based on bonds and swaps and other derivatives. And then there's survey-based inflation expectation ones. Uh, this is one that the Bank of uh, Canada does. I think it's quarterly. In fact, I know it's quarterly. And it's, um, you know, what you think, what consumers and businesses basically think inflation is going to be X amount of time out. So in this case, it's two years out and it went even higher. So 84% of the people that were surveyed think that inflation is going to be above 3% two years out. So that's, a, to me, that's a really significant number. Now, are, could the surveys be wrong? Sure, but it's about what people think about the current inflation situation that they have right now. And it continues to go higher, not lower, despite what we know is true, which is the peak in inflation headline numbers and core, and obviously a lot of sort of the slowdown we're seeing in the economy. And then the final thing, which is the PPI, you mentioned it, well, we got the PPI number for Canada too last week or this week. Um, and it does a great job tracking, um, sorry, excuse me, predicting core inflation. So remember, Steve, when we were getting all this grief about how we thought inflation was going to peak over Q4, I think, uh, and, and we got all this blowback saying it's never going to happen. Well, we were right. And uh, it is it is rolling over. And I encourage you to go check out the charts. I think they're, they, they're I try my best to sort of explain it in a simple way and, and, um, and you can check them out. So there you go. That was my that's another, that's another plug, another plug. <laughs> that's three. <laughs> that's three yeah, thus yeah. far. Yeah. But, but that's a great description, though, what, what's happening with the Canadian data. You know, the Bank of Canada, they have that data as well. So, Steve, are you, you going to set us up? Yeah, well, yeah. no, I've got just a couple more comments on some of that inflation. Rich uh, bugging me about housing shelter. But uh, so it's interesting that the largest contributor to annual inflation in Canada right now is actually mortgage interest costs. Uh, so obviously, you know, the higher, the more interest you're paying on your mortgage, that, that's that's showing up in the sort of shelter inflation component. So, uh, yeah, you know, that's that's number one. Um, yeah, number two is what you can see here is the uh, on the shelter component again. So Canada uses. Yes, they factor in rents um, as well. They survey. Um, they what's basically what they do is they survey rents from. Uh, property managers basically that are running more or less commercial apartment buildings. So they're not surveying, you know, your, your mom and pop landlord that's renting out the basement suite. They don't, those people don't get captured in the rent. So that's one thing to keep in note. The other thing is that they track a huge component of, of shelter is CPI. It's homeowners replacement costs. So it's basically what does it cost to replace the structure? What does it cost to basically rebuild somebody's home that you're currently living in? And so that index is actually uh, rolling over. It's peaked. It's decelerating. It's obviously not. It's not declining in negative terms, but it, it is decelerating, uh, which is kind of in line with what we're seeing uh, in the real estate community uh, in the development space, which is that uh, building costs. Um, they're not. They haven't really come down. Like they're not. But they're, they've stabilized. So they're at. The, they went up a lot. And then they basically stabilize. So, um, yeah, I think we're going to continue to see that in the months ahead. 
And then uh, last last quick thing here, Keith, I'm curious your, your opinion. Our, our buddy Ritesh, Ritesh Jane there uh, had a good tweet. Because I think there's always like, it's interesting, right? Like you can always find, you know, you can always maybe use your confirmation bias to find data points to sort of filter through to fit your narrative or your worldview. Um, and so I think there's a lot of people that I see on the inflation side that are like, oh yeah, we're, you know, we're getting hyperinflation. You look at this data point, it's, you know, the decline in inflation was only due to gas prices and those are surely going to go right back up. Um, but they surely, yeah, sure, sure. She's back. Um, but Canada's he, so, so he says Canada's headed for deflation. Yes. You heard it right. He says Canada's CPI is down 0.6% month over month, but the three and six month annualized rate at 0.79 and 0.19% respectively. So he says that was down from 12.6% in the first half of the year. I, Rich, I don't know if you have any comments on that. I, I do. Put it in the group chat. <laughs> I do have comments. Um, I think that's extremely difficult to have deflation, which is again, only occurred really in a global financial crisis um, when you have population growth of 2%. I, I just like, just fundamentally, those two things are you know opposing forces. You literally just have more bodies coming onto our shore, <laughs> not to make it like that visceral, but literally more people showing up who are chasing after a finite number of goods at that rate, um, I, I just find it to have deflation, that is to have in, you know, in, inflation rate of change start to go below zero and stay there. I just philosophically and fundamentally, just those two things just can't square in my brain. And then the second thing I would say um, is you can hate the shelter component all you want, but it's going to stay higher. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to stay positive for a while and it's 40% of the basket. So, yeah, no, I agree. I, I think the one thing I'd say just to, 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 to sort of back up or test here, his sure. view is more deflation over a very short period of time, maybe the summer kind of thing, but he's, he's okay, still, fair enough. his personal view, you know, just reading some of his replies and stuff like that is, is, and I actually kind of tend to agree with them is that there's, there's a high probability of this, second wave of inflation maybe in 2024 right if you get this deflation quote-unquote scare for several months it, it it propels central bankers to maybe ease off the gas pedal and maybe ease potentially too early and then we're back to more inflation in 2024 as as governments which they like to do is spend money He's a smart guy and I saw what he wrote. And so I'm not going to just, just totally dismiss him. And I think your point about the short term versus that longer term, I think, I think is a fair one. Um, I just, to me that the population growth number is very, very difficult to overcome. And that, that would be where I sort of rest my case. Keith, I think, uh, yeah, I know Ritesh well. He's a super nice guy, uh, freaking smart too. And um, I, I wouldn't get too caught up with the, the level I think what's more important is the direction. And the point that Ritesh is making is that inflation data, it can start rolling over aggressively. And uh, I know there are a few other guys out there, you know, they're suggesting the same move and trend as well. And uh, I think that's going to make it difficult for the central banks to continue with what they want to do. And remember what they want to do? Do you guys know? Higher for longer. They want to crush us like an ant <laughs> <laughs> remember montgomery burns on the yeah, yeah. i'm gonna crush them you know like and, his paper uh, cup <laughs> yeah <laughs> and he couldn't do it right 
<laughs> and, That's uh, anyway, uh, the old man, you know, yelling at, at the clouds. That's so you. That's you. I have my number. I have my number ready. Okay, oh, yeah. so we got the uh, the Twinkie bat Da-da-da. here. This is this is to see who stays alive. Uh, yeah, you know, full disclaimer: don't whoa, whoa, eat these. Whoa, whoa. Am, am I eating a lemon loaf or a Twinkie? Because my you're answer a, depends on what Twinkie. I have to eat. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, the lemon loaf. No, buddy. no, that affects my let's, answer. Let's move on. They're not going to give us any sponsor. Let's let's move on. Let's. Because uh... if it's if a lemon eat... loaf, I want to miss. I don't want to be around. Yeah, if you're if you're <laughs> eating lemon loaves, I'm showing up next time with like a cinnamon bun. Okay, so uh, who got the last? I think were we all right last time or all wrong? I, I don't remember. Rich was he, he, right, and Steve, no, you I was I right. Wrong? I was right in in uh, Toronto. Remember? Yes, the uh, the market. I, I went with Rich the market. Went, Rich went with the market. Okay. Our our audience called fifty, so Rich went with that, and and it was fifty. And so Keith, you actually uh, people were giving you the gears because you had a zero rate yeah. hike. So what do you got for us? I was uh, so I'll, I'll go first. So right now we're at four and a quarter. Correct. Yep. Um, I have us down at uh, 25 next week. So we'll be at four and a half. Rich? That's it. I got nothing else to say. I'm going to go 50 again. <laughs> 50 again. Oh, I got to make it interesting. I'm going to go 50. I'm going to, I'm going to risk my, my, uh, my, my liver or my, uh, you know, um, the sugar intake or Shock the, the world, dye. Baby. I think it's actually the dye that's really bad in those things. But anyway, yeah, I'm going to go 50. They're going to raise 50. I think they got freaked out by the inflation expectations. I thought it was a natural color down. that the yellows, <laughs> is it? What? <laughs> it's hundred percent beef. <laughs> Back, yeah. Baked fresh every day. Um, I'm going to go, I I'm going to be boring. I'm sorry. I got to stick with Keith. I'm going 25. It's what the market's expecting. Um, yeah, so by the way, it's not this meeting that's going to be the interesting one. It'll be the one after. I yeah, think, I think that's so. Is it March? March eighth, I think. Yeah, it maybe. is. Yeah, March eighth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's the one. I think then we get back to okay. And now what are they going to do? Anyway, so okay. So right now we we are at four and a quarter. Most of us are saying four and a half, and we'll see where we are with. I that, think what's right? going to be important though, like if anyone decides to sort of, you know, watch from home or tune into the press conference, I'm assuming he's giving one, um, is, is, is the language, right? I mean, the language at the last meeting when he went 50 was he more or less in plain English, he essentially said, we're going to be basing future decisions on whatever the data says. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of a change in tone. So I'd be curious to see what he kind of comes out and says after this decision. I mean, certainly if you look at the data, from today compared to his last meeting, it certainly has rolled over. I think it certainly gives yeah, him. Well, you, I think you gives, could. He had his fingers crossed though, and in, in his pockets when he was saying that. <laughs> <laughs> God, they want to keep raising rates. Right now, they're hanging out somewhere and they're they're listening to this and they're just laughing. They're saying we're going to keep raising them. And remember, it's it's not for us to agree or disagree with what they're doing. So we have to listen to what they're doing. And and again, the Bank of Canada is the most difficult one to, to try to figure out. I, I think they're not consistent. If you are listening, like, please be consistent. That, that's all we ask of you. Um, where's the Scotia, Americans? Yeah, the Americans are consistent. Scotia Even Banks, the Europeans. Chief, yeah, I was reading an article from uh, Scotia Bank's chief economist uh, the other day, and he was kind of... It's Derek, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was scolding uh, Tiff Mack with the BOC, basically saying this guy is so unpredictable. It's it's 
And he's like, good grief. Can't you just like, you know, be like the fed and just tell us what you're going to do. Uh, Cause yeah, Tiff, Tiff's kind of surprised us really at every corner, every, every turn he's, he's, you know, the hundred basis point move in July. And then it's just, he's been all over the place. Well, you know what, what I love about him though, like most of us peaked in high school, Rich is still going up pretty slow. <laughs> Thank you. But, but yeah, there you go. That Tiff still hasn't peaked yet, right? He's still holding on to this as long as he can. Uh, but again, guys, jokes aside, the central banks, they're trying to create the recession and it hasn't happened yet. And they they keep looking at it. So I, I don't know how they're going to achieve lower inflation w- without triggering the recession. Because if not... We're going to get this sort of lull, you know, this gully, and then things are going to start ripping higher again later on in the year. So right back to where they were. The ironic part here is that like, you know, I'm in the real estate industry, so everyone's always eternally optimistic. But um, the funny thing that I'm seeing today is like, like what you're seeing, right? We talked about the beginning of the show. So you got these really low inventory levels, activity is starting to pick up. Uh, we're seeing, you know, the bond markets pushing, you know, interest rates lower. So, you know, you're, 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 you can get a five-year fixed mortgage today. It's not five and a half anymore. It's 4.8. Uh, so everyone's getting optimistic. This is the last Bank of Canada rate hike. And I'm like, you guys, it, it, it's kind of like a double-edged sword, which is that while that may be true, the more resilient that the housing market is, the more ability it gives the, the Bank of Canada to keep rates high or to even keep going. Because they'd be like, well, look, hey, houses are going back into multiple offers. Let's let's raise another 25 basis points and another 25. So yeah, you're kind of you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, really. So behind the scenes as well now, we have Canadian banks, they have to raise their, their equity they have. So a couple of them will be issuing new equity and doing different things like that. So again, I keep going, everyone is preparing for this slowdown. And if it happens, it, it's going to hurt mortgage portfolios. Um, we had some bond fund news this week, a real estate fund news. Yep. Uh, Which one was that, Steve? Why don't you share yeah. that with us? Private investors, this is this is kind of the next leg, I suppose, of the credit cycle. But private investors have basically queued up. They've lined up to basically pull about $20 billion uh, in, in withdrawal requests from uh, several of the large uh, private real estate funds in the U.S. Um, so I don't have the list handy in front of me of which ones those are. But the overwhelming sort of thesis here is that people are looking for liquidity. And so they're they're now lining up to to basically withdraw their liquidity from these 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 private funds, you know, real estate funds. We've talked about it before in Canada. You know, these mortgage investment corps. You know, Rompspin Rompspin uh, was one of the first ones to gate uh, gate funds, gate withdrawals. Uh, what six months ago? So I think we're going to see a lot more funds, obviously, gating withdrawals as they struggle to sort of muster up the liquidity to pay out these uh, withdrawal requests. And I think as well, we saw one of the larger uh, Brookfield funds. They, they have a monthly NAV. Uh, so they priced their fund monthly. They've now had two consecutive months with negative returns. So, so again, like we, we're we seeing the data is now coming out. I mean, enough of that. Uh, one more note to bring up. I know we got to run in a few minutes. Is that right? Yeah, well, we had close to wrapping it up here a couple minutes. The Bank of Japan. Anyone watch? Anyone stay up late to watch the Bank of Japan news? Only you, buddy. Only me. <laughs> the uh, so you might remember. I think it was three weeks ago. 
the Bank of Japan, out of the blue, they let their uh, that the range for the long term bond yield go higher by 25 basis points. And it, you know, it, it, it shocked the world. It was like, holy smokes, they're going to try to reprice their bond market. So they want to allow long term rates to go higher, which means the price of the bonds go lower. Um, it sent the uh, yen going higher and the equity market going lower. So you got the, you know, the trifecta, the equity market, the currency market, and the bond market. Usually, if the bond market goes lower, the currency goes higher. So you get that offset taking place. And they suggested at the time that, um, you know, they maybe the the, the phase they've been in, which is what, Rich, twenty five years almost. <laughs> I think well, it was since in the bubble, since the housing bubble in 1990, I would say no. Yeah, yeah, that's when things broke. But I think it was in 2000 they went to zero rates, and then oh. a couple years after they started doing QE. So they, you know, they're they're 20 plus years into it, and they made a suggestion that you know now maybe is the time to, to come out of it. And so just that you know the whole butterfield analogy, you know when sorry butterfly, butterfly. a butterfly when they flap their wings. You know, there's a it, tsunami it in Japan. Yeah, something like that. Except this was going reverse because it would have a big consequence. There's a lot of Japanese capital is outside of Japan, and all of a sudden now they're getting a reason, you know, to to repatriate it, and which would be very negative for Europe, by the way, for European banks especially. And um, so this week they were they had their next BOJ meeting, and the the thought was that they were going to do the same thing again. And so, you know, I mean, the day before or the day of the meeting, um, Japanese markets were just flying in anticipation of this. And guess what they did? What did they do? Nothing. They kept it the same. <laughs> but nothing is not a, oh, nothing happened. Because it, it's, it's a lot of people have the view, and this is our view as well. If they let their bond market go, then it's, it's, it's just going to be game over. Like they're in in so much trouble if you do it because the banks automatically have to mark losses, pension funds, insurance companies, and stuff like that. So within a two week period, they basically came to their own decision that hey, we, we can't we can't go with that. Um, so some of the data points though from from the Bank of Japan, I came across this this week. Uh, and just think about each thing that I say here now, Rose. So uh, so the Bank of Japan they own more than fifty percent of all government. De- Japan government bonds outstanding. They own half of it. It's in the market. EOC is not far behind, sir. They own, yeah, that's right. We got up to 42%, I think it was. I think it's a yeah. lower now, but it was up to there. Keep, yeah. yeah keep going. And uh, which is a pretty big number. And uh, the amount of debt in Japan is is enormous, by the way. It, it dwarfs. So Japan is the second biggest debtor, debtor in the world. The Americans are one. It's Japan and, and Italy, I think. Uh, the Bank of Japan, they own uh, more more stocks or equities than any other entity in the world. So normally BlackRock is the largest institutional owner of stuff because they have so many funds, right? The Bank of Japan, they own more equities than anybody. They are a top 10 shareholder in over 40% of Japanese companies. So I always... I always find that interesting, maybe for like some people that are listening to this show that, you know, aren't following this as closely, but you're, I always find it interesting that like, you know, a central bank, the BOJ can basically effectively print money and buy equity in a company. Yeah. I just, 
it, it's hard to kind of wrap your head around. And so it's like, you know, you're having a shareholders meeting and, you know, <laughs> the, the BOJ minister is sitting there at the table because he's one of the largest shareholders. Department of Labor, what do you think? Well, we don't some think of these, some of these com- But some of these companies have an incredible amount of cash, though. So I think, if, so, you know, we make, we make fun of the Bank of Japan. They deserve to be made fun of. A lot of these companies in Japan are extremely, extremely cashed up. So, and this has been the, this has been the bull, one of the bullish arguments for a long, long time is that the Japanese companies would return cash to shareholders. They would deploy that cash in a more effective and uh, efficient way. They would buy, they would buy accretive, uh, they'd make accretive um, acquisitions, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, of all the crazy things that these at the Bank of Canada, at the Bank of Japan might be doing, buying profitable, companies might not be the craziest thing i mean we know that the bank of switzerland does it i think a bank of switzerland owns something like and i think i want to say almost one percent or like some i can't remember don't quote me that number but a huge huge amount of the s&p 500 is owned by the bank of, of switzerland i thought they Central were like bank one of, of the, weren't they like one of the largest shareholders like apple stock yeah they were i think at one point yeah so but that's flowing actually... from that's flowing from the americans their swap lines and everything <laughs> i'm just but but two comments with the bank of japan first of all it's why? Why are they doing that? As you said, they're printing money to do it. You know, it, it's not a real economy, you know, we're, we're looking at there. And they've been doing it now for so long. It was, they're trying to, I really laugh all the time. And, you know, some smart people say, oh, yeah, we can inflate our way out of the, the debt problem. Well, Japan's been trying to do it for over 25 years. And like, and it, it hasn't been that successful. But not only buying bonds, they're you know they're buying equities as well. Like they've they've completely taken their private markets and you know turned them to just another department from the government, and it, it just destroys capital. Um, I think Japan just goes kaboom in in the middle of middle of the night. The second point is I think I owe the Europeans an apology. Oh my goodness. Maybe they're not the economic fantasy land. Maybe it's the Japanese. <laughs> oh, wow. Why do you think? I just it's just coming to me. I think you're probably right. I mean, there's <laughs> I mean, I don't know, man. They own so they're like just the counter argument, just for argument for just the sake of conversation, they own an incredible amount of foreign assets. Um and, and they and I, I know that, and they and they generate an enormous amount of money. In return. So again, we've talked about the current account balance, which is exports of goods and services. And then there's different types of income that you get, which is the secondary income, which is like remittances and the primary income, which is literally cash paid out in the form of dividends from investments in a building, in a oil field, in Apple and whatever. And they still get an incredible amount of inflows from their foreign holdings. So maybe that's where but yet you they know. still can't let their the bond market price now. Now what the Canadians will be looking at with this? I mean, on the on the public on the government side, and same with the Europeans, like they're watching the Japanese experience, and like you just you just betcha, there's a lot of components of this. They're just drooling over. It. They're saying, "Wow, like that's that's maybe the next step." You know, the bank you. Remember the Fed start? Go ahead. God help. Yeah, us remember all. back back when the pandemic started. Uh, you know, the Federal Reserve, you know, the Americans, you know, they, they didn't do it. They did a little bit, but it was the stick they carried. They said, hey, we're going to buy high yield debt. I remember that. They just announced, they said, we, we, you know, you guys think we can't do it, but we can. We, we can buy high yield debt. 
And it's just a threat of it all. That's when we talk about, you know, we're, the financial world has shifted and it's a very long, it's been a very long, slow turn. It's been taking place over a decade and it, we're now starting to get through to the other side of it. And again, like this kind of a world, it, it, it will discontinue at some point. And as it does, all of a sudden, you know, each country, like they're, I like to say now, you know, risk has been synchronized. You heard me say that before. But as soon as one of them runs in the, in the trouble, each country is going to, you know, sort of retract, come back to themselves, protect themselves and, and like that. Because one interesting thing we follow all the time is um, volatility measures for different currencies. So everything relative to the dollar. And they've been coming down for a decade. And, and since 21 they've now started to go higher again. And that's my point that the, the bond market, the sovereign debt market is in a lot of trouble, but I think the risk will get reflected in on the currency side. So uh, what do well, you don't have enough time. We don't have enough time. We, I know we have to run, but we don't have enough time to do one more thing in Japan that they came cap in hand to our dear leader to ask him for natural gas and he rebuffed them. So Japan is a net is a, a, a energy deficit country because they closed all their natural uh, their nuclear power plants for reasons that remain <laughs> unknown. <laughs> and um, that's obviously a joke because of Fukushima in 2011. But anyway, so they they import, let's just say for argument's sake, nearly all their energy needs. Um, until they restart their nuclear power plants. And they were importing 10% of their uh, energy needs or 10% of natural gas, whatever, an enormous chunk of energy from Russia. They no longer do that in solidarity with the people, good people of Ukraine. And so um, uh, Kishida, um, a Japanese um, minister, I can't remember where what, what government he came to Canada a, couple, a week ago and asked Justin Trudeau for natural gas. Um, and this is just a couple of weeks or three weeks after uh, Justin Trudeau said no to the Germans, uh, suggesting that there's no business case for Canada to produce more natural gas. Um, I, I'm my I'm convinced that he thinks Germany and Japan are still part of the Axis powers and is not aware that we are staunch allies with these two good nations. Um, and so I just have to throw that one in because I think it's 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 a real shame that Canada is not sort of helping out there their their allies um both from an economic standpoint from a political standpoint um as well as a you know a d uh, as a, a mission light standpoint so germany's burning more coal than they were japan is starting to burn more coal um and by 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 exchanging that for natural gas uh you could sort of hit two birds with one stone but i don't know steve wait one, one, one last thing we have yeah. a, an early nominee the 2023 Angriest Person Award. And I think it's going to be Al Gore over at the web. Oh, you have to, you have oh to check that goodness. out on, on the line. Oh, okay, Steve, wrap Google, it up. Yeah, wrap Google Al Gore at the World Economic Forum uh, if you're looking for some, some good entertainment. And uh, it's a good place to wrap it up. As always, uh, we appreciate your support. You've got the Looney Hour uh, the, the, with the Twinkie bet there. So we'll uh, we'll have a, a recap next week going over exactly what's going on at the Bank of Canada. I'm sure everybody's going to be sitting on the edge of their seat for that meeting. So uh, we'll be going over that. But like I said, we always appreciate the support. Uh, if you don't mind, if you enjoyed the show, go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Wherever you're listening to this interview, give us a five-star review, leave a comment, um, certainly boosts us up in the algorithm and let's continue to build the Looney Hour community here. So uh, we'll see you next week.